Good morning. Welcome to worship at Faith Christian Reformed Church, wherever you are coming from, whoever you are, however you've been brought to this place. The Lord calls us and welcomes us to worship, and it's good to be together. We're going to have a responsive call to worship this morning. All begin. You respond as the words on the screen indicate. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. We are truly under the care of the Lord, and so we gather together. I do have a number of announcements before we begin worship this morning. First, this Saturday, June 12, so this coming day, coming Saturday, uh, we have our annual Spring Fest. So we'll have a lot of uh, good, t- good times for the kids, a silent auction, good food. However, we also are in rather desperate need of volunteers for this year's Spring Fest. So if you can sign up online, otherwise there's a sign-up sheet on the sign-up counter. We do have a lot of needs for people to help host the event. So if you are at all able, please do plan to spend part of the Spring, t- spring Fest time volunteering. And even if you aren't able to volunteer, please do come, enjoy the activities, enjoy the good food, and enjoy being together. We want to welcome Dr. Alan Strange, who will be preaching for us this morning. Uh, Dr. Strange is a professor at Mid-America Reform Seminary, fairly close to here. He led a council equipping time here at Faith a couple weeks ago, and welcome, welcome Alan. It's good to have you here. We look forward to hearing you proclaim God's word for us. We'll also be installing elders and deacons, and Pastor Mac Weiner, Brother Mac, our summer pastor, uh, he'll be here over the course of the summer helping out with uh, preaching, with some visiting, with some other ministries. So we will be welcoming Mac this morning. Looking forward to sharing in ministry with you this summer, Mac. Thanks for being here. And tonight, tonight we are beginning in-person evening services again. We're mostly planning to meet outside, but if the weather is excessively hot or excessively rainy or otherwise unconducive to meeting outside, we'll be meeting inside. And we'll have that up on Facebook at 5 o'clock, so you'll know by 6 o'clock whether we'll be inside or outside. Or you can show up and go where everybody else is to worship. It'll be good to gather again in person in the evenings. For our last announcement, and Randy, why don't you go ahead and come up, we are going to be beginning our monthly Faith Promise Missionaries updates again now. Uh, Randy's going to offer this month's update, and then every month, as we have for quite a number of years before COVID, the beginning beginning week of every month, we'll have an update and prayer for our missionaries. As Pastor said, every month we focus on one of our Faith Promise Missionaries, and this month, our focus is on uh, Brad and Ruth Eidson, who serve at Camp Forest Springs in Westboro, Wisconsin. Camp Forest Springs is a place where people can come and grow in their faith, and their youth camps provide children with an opportunity to learn spiritual lessons and learn about God and themselves and others. Shall we pray? Lord, we ask your blessing today on Brad and Ruth Eidson. Bless the work that they do to bring young people to Christ through interaction with nature and with others. Bless all our missionaries who have heard your call to bring the message of salvation to those who have not heard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
because the good news has gone out through the work of, the, of missionaries, the Lord has called and drawn and worked in all of us to bring us here and now. And please stand to receive God's greeting as we gather in his presence this morning. Receive this greeting. To those who are called, who are beloved in God the Father and kept safe in Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. The worship team is going to come up now. We're going to respond to God's greeting by singing two songs of praise. First, be unto your name, and then we fall down. As the Lord gathers us in, we respond by joyfully praising Him.
congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we celebrate God's gift of faithful leadership to his people. We do this in part by giving thanks for elders and deacons who have served and who are serving and also by giving thanks and by officially installing our incoming elders and deacons. We joyfully thank God for the elders who are completing their term of service, Dirk Glaubke, Mike Hoving, Chris Kakebeek, Mike Torno, and Brian Voss. We're grateful also for the deacons who are completing their time of service, for Cal Boonstra, Steve David, Dan Coinga, and also Mark Van Dam. Mark would have completed three years of service at this point, but he passed away unexpectedly last fall, so even as we give thanks for his service, we continue to pray for his family, and we rejoice in the hope of the resurrection of the dead when we will see all our beloved brothers and sisters in Christ again. We want to give thanks to all who have served and are serving for your willingness to serve the church, for your time, and for your dedication. And now we praise God for providing successors to these men. In the office bearers of the church, we see the love of Christ for his people. Jesus taught us the spirit of true leadership when he said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Elders serve by governing the church in Christ's name. They received this task when Christ entrusted the apostles and their successors with the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
Elders are thus responsible for the spiritual well-being of God's people. They must provide for true preaching and teaching, regular celebration of the sacraments, and faithful counsel and discipline while keeping in confidence those matters entrusted to them. And they must promote fellowship and hospitality among believers, ensure good order in the church, and stimulate witness to all people. Deacons serve by showing mercy to the church and to all people. They received this task in the early church when the apostles designated special persons for the work of mercy. In Christ's name, the deacons relieve victims of injustice. They are called to assess needs, to promote stewardship and hospitality, to collect and disperse resources for benevolence, and to develop programs of assistance. They are also called to speak words of Christian encouragement. In word and deed, deacons demonstrate the care of the Lord himself. These tasks of elders and deacons call for believers who are Christ-like, who are mature in their faith, and who exercise their offices with prayer, with patience, and with humility. And if, if you're an incoming elder or deacon, could I ask that you come up and all stand here on the platform together facing the congregation. So please come up at this time. I'm going to list off our incoming elders and deacons. Can each of you kind of just give a wave or a nod or otherwise acknowledge your identity as we uh, go through the list? So our incoming elders are Ed Beespoor, John Rowerda, Doug Slinkman, and Brad Weeringa. Incoming deacons are Peter Grunwald, Mike Spielman, Matt Taslar, and Logan Van Proyen. And Doug and Logan, since the two of you haven't served as office bearers here at Faith, there's a covenant for office bearers on the communion table before you go down, kind of on your way down, if you can sign that. Basically, what it says is that our office bearers agree to follow the Bible, to follow the Lord. They agree that our church does indeed do that, and they agree to do their job well in the power of the Lord. Now, for all of you, to express your acceptance of these offices, you're asked in the presence of God and His church to answer the following questions. And I'll read through all the questions and then ask each of you individually to respond with, I do, God helping me. First, do you believe that in the call of this congregation, God Himself is calling you to these holy offices? Do you believe that the Old and New Testaments are the Word of God, the only infallible rule of truth in life? Do you subscribe to the doctrinal standards of this church, rejecting all teaching which contradicts them? And do you promise to do the work of your offices faithfully in a way worthy of your calling and in submission to the government and discipline of the church? I'll go by the list I had earlier. Ed, what is your answer? And John, what is your answer? Doug, what is your answer? And Brad, what is your answer? And then for the deacons, Peter, what is your answer? And Mike, Matt, and finally Logan, what is your answer? Thanks be to God. And God, our Heavenly Father, who has called you to this, these sacred offices, may He guide you by His Word, equip you with His Spirit, and so prosper your ministries that His church may increase and His name be praised. Our council president and our chair of deacons are going to come up now, Chuck, our 
president of council will give a charge to the elders. Jay will follow that with a charge to the deacons. And then I will give a charge to the whole congregation. Charge to the elders. I charge you elders as shepherds of the flock to hold firmly to the trustworthy message that has been taught. Today you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Be a friend in Christ-like example to children. Give clear and cheerful guidance to young people. By word and example, bear up God's people in their pain and their weakness and celebrate their joys with them. Hold and trust all sensitive matters confided to you. Encourage the aged to persevere in God's promises. Be wise counselors who support and strengthen the pastors and the staff. Be compassionate yet firm and consistent in rebuke and discipline. Know the scriptures which are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in the righteousness. Lastly, and most important, pray continually for the church. I charge you deacons to inspire faithful ministries of service to one another, to the larger community, and to the world. Remind us that the Lord requires us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Teach us to be merciful and to seize new opportunities of worship, to worship God with offerings of wealth, time, and ability. Minister to rich and poor alike, both within and outside the church. Be compassionate to those in need and treat them with dignity and respect. Hold and trust all sensitive matters confided to you. Let your lives be above reproach. Live as examples of Christ Jesus. Look to the, other, to the interest of others. And in all your ministries, help us participate in the renewing of all things, even as we anticipate its completion when God's kingdom comes. The Bible in a number of places refers to the church as Christ's body and emphasizes that every member has a part to play. And so it is not these men, it is not the pastors who do the work of the church, it is all of us together. And so along with the charge to the elders and the deacons, we have this charge to the congregation. And I ask that after I give you the charge, you respond with, we do, God helping us. I charge you, the people of God, to receive these office bearers as Christ's gift to the church. Recognize in them the Lord's provision for healthy congregational life. Hold them in honor. Take their counsel seriously. Respond to them with obedience and respect. Accept their help with thanks. Wholeheartedly participate in the ministries into which they lead you. Sustain them in prayer. Encourage them with your support, especially when they feel the burden of their office. Acknowledge them as the Lord's servants among you. And you, congregation, pledge to receive them as you have been charged. We're also going to welcome Mac Wiener. Mac, can you come up and just kind of find your place on the platform there? We're not exactly officially installing Mac, but Mac is going to be here serving as our pastor for the summer. And so we're welcoming him, but also giving him an opportunity to acknowledge what work he will do this summer. So Mac is an ordained minister. He's a Bible teacher at Timothy across the street. And in keeping with his role as a minister of the word here this summer, Mac, do you promise to preach God's word faithfully? to administer the sacraments graciously, to care for God's people lovingly, 
and to do all you can to build up and equip this church. Mac, what is your answer? Great to have you here this summer, Mac. Looking forward to sharing in ministry with you. Mac and I are going to be sharing in a morning sermon series on Ephesians that we started a couple weeks ago. Mac is going to be stepping into that next week and a number of weeks throughout the uh, summer. And then he'll be preaching on the I Am statements in John and our summer evening services when he's on for that. And then also visiting and being part of our ministry. So again, we give thanks for how the Lord has provided for our office bearers and for Mac here for the summer. We're going to continue in worship now by singing together, we are called to be God's people. All of us are called together to serve the Lord. Let's sing this song as a reminder of that call and as a commitment that all of us will serve the Lord together. And let's stand to sing. Let's come before our Lord in prayer. Great and mighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all glory, honor, and power, and praise be to you. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would fill us afresh and anew with your spirit so that we might seek first your kingdom and be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We admit, O oh God, how often we fail at seeking first your kingdom and faithfully 
following Jesus. We confess our sins and we confess that often we fall short. And we are thankful for the abundant and generous and complete forgiveness that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Make us clean, O God, and may the righteousness of Jesus Christ be upon us in this coming week. We are thankful, O God, for the gift of the body of Christ, the church, and we are amazed and thankful for how your church has spread across this planet, regardless of national, ethnic, or cultural boundary. And we pray for your for blessing upon your church. Uh, we think of our brothers and sisters in the faith that at great cost to themselves stand strong and true to Jesus Christ. Please bless and strengthen those who are persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. We are thankful for this congregation, for the blessing of faith church. And we pray for blessing upon this church during this time of transition. We are thankful for the leadership you have provided. And we pray for blessing upon the elders and deacons. May this call uh, to this particular ministry uh, be deeply rooted in their hearts. Give them wisdom and your leading as they seek to be servants of Jesus Christ in leadership roles in this congregation. Uh, we, pr we pray for blessing on the, on the many people that have invested so much into the ministries of this church and uh, bless each person in their role as they seek to further your kingdom work in the ministries of Faith Church. We pray, O oh God, today for those that are struggling. We pray for those that find themselves in the midst of relational conflict. And, O oh God, we pray for peace. We pray, Lord, for those that are struggling with, with mental illness of one form or another. And we pray, O oh God, that, that your peace would guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We pray for those that struggle physically uh, day by day. And we pray for an extra hand of your grace and your healing to be upon them. We pray that you would continue to build us together as individuals and families into the body of Christ. And please use each one of us and the gifts that you have given us to bless those in the church and bless those that we uh, meet throughout the week as well. May we be your witnesses and servants in this world to your glory. And we pray this. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, amen and amen. At this time, uh, children ages three through kindergarten are dismissed to Children's Church. Kids, you're going to miss a good sermon today, but that's all right. And uh, as uh, the kids leave, uh, we are going to sing together um, a wonderful truth of God's kingdom, Make Me a Servant. Uh, we'll sing the song three times. I invite the, the women to sing first, the men to sing second, and then we will all join in together for verse three. So let's stand as we sing, Make Me a Servant.
Be seated. Well, it's a real blessing to be with all of you for this service of worship on this beautiful uh, late spring, coming close to summer day, and I trust God has blessed you already in this day and filled your heart with every good thing, and I trust that He will continue to do so as we hear a very beautiful passage from the Gospel of John, John 13. A familiar passage, I believe this is part of that great upper room discourse, as it's often referred to in the Gospel of John, one of the most precious parts of Scripture. If John is a special book, and I think it is, I think this particular part of it is almost like a holy of holies. And we're very pleased and privileged to draw near and to be able to hear Jesus as he's preparing to go to the cross, what's on his mind in his heart? I think that's pretty significant. I mean, if it were you or me, I'd be so taken up with, oh my goodness, what's happening here? But Jesus is very concerned about his church, his people, down to this day, including all of us in this room. So let's hear these words. John 13, 1 to 20. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen. The scripture will be fulfill, fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I'm he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. The word of the Lord. Thanks 
be to God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, how beautiful, how glorious it is to come into worship, to draw near to you with the assurance that you will draw near to us and dwell in our midst by the Holy Spirit. In fact, you will lift us up and have to be seated in heavenly places with Christ our Lord. Fill us, Lord, by that self-same Spirit as we hear this word and take it home to every waiting heart. In Jesus' name, amen. WWJD. What would Jesus do? Do you remember that? It's been a little while, but maybe you've seen it on a, a shirt or a bracelet or a necklace or a ring. The question, what would Jesus do, purports to call us to Christ-like behavior by having us to reflect in any given situation on what our Lord Himself would do in such a circumstance. Some have opined, though, that a better question might be, what would Jesus have us do? And we can see from this passage what He would have us do, follow His example in washing one another's feet. But I would maintain that before we ever ask the question of what would Jesus have us do, that we need to first and foremost, foundationally we might say, understand what it is that Jesus has done for us. How is it that He has washed our feet? We need to understand, you see, the person and work of Jesus before we can follow His example. To put it another way, before we think of how Jesus was exemplary, we need to think about how He was unique. How He alone did what needed to be done for us so that we then could serve one another. And you've already heard a charge, office bearers, but I will also charge you from this passage, not so much with the kind of formal words that you heard, but as we're looking at this passage and thinking in its terms, to think about, first of all, how Jesus has washed our feet, how He's done for us what only He could, and then secondly, to understand how you can wash one another's feet here. So we begin then with this thought. How has Jesus washed our feet? What is this all about? Well, shortly before going to the cross, to die for our sins. We've already said this, right? We see here in this passage that our Savior took a basin and He girded Himself with a towel and He bowed down and He washed His disciples' feet. Now the import of the kind of washing that, that this was, foot washing, should not be lost on us. We need to think a bit about this. Foot washing, if you think about it, in a land in which people went around not wearing socks and shoes like we do. I, see, I can see a few people aren't wearing socks and shoes. You're a little bit more ancient Near Eastern here for us today. They went around in open-toed footwear, sometimes barefoot. And you might say, yes, I get where you're going, Pastor. The streets were dusty. Uh, maybe you don't get completely where I'm going. I'm talking a lot more than dusty. The streets had animals on them all the time. 
So the streets not only had a lot of dust on them, we don't tend to think this way. The sights and smells of other eras are not those of ours. I mean, you get a little taste of it maybe when you're in a place like Colonial Williamsburg where you can see the horses going around and you see, oh, I have to be careful where I step. But this was everywhere at that time. But not only that, I know that many a good Dutchman looking out and thinking has made a fortune in garbage collection, but they didn't exist then. How did people get rid of their garbage? Throw it out the window. The streets of a town, a village, not only would be laden with animal gifts, but garbage. The point is, your feet, whether you had on shoes of an open-toe kind or not at all, would be customarily very dirty, pretty nasty. So it was the case that when you would go to someone's house, it was part of, like we might say, may I take your hat, may I take your coat? It was part of common courtesy to offer to assist the guests in this way. But think of it now, put yourself back in the time. The way it would be in many households is many households would have servants. You didn't have to be an upper-class house to have servants. Again, this is not the way things were in the past. It was very common for a lot of folk to have servants. And you would often have a servant family living with you. And so the father would be doing things appropriate to him, um, maybe gardening and doing other things. The mother might be like the housekeeper. It would often be the smallest child, the smallest boy, customarily, the smallest boy to whom would fall the job when folks came in to visit, when folks would come over for dinner, say, and they would say, would you like, may we wash your feet? And Johnny, or, well, they were Hebrews. So little David, wash the feet. Do you understand then that Jesus is taking on a very messy, smelly, stinky job that nobody really wanted? That of the lowest servant. So you, you kind of have to put yourself back into this. This isn't just some, you know, well, I just showered. and I mean, that foot there on the screen looks pretty nice compared to the way ancient Near Eastern feet customarily were. That our Lord would do this, it, it's hard to know. What would it be like? Would be like you're touring the White House and seeing the president cleaning the toilets. Or maybe even more remarkable, the former president doing so at the Plaza Hotel, one of his properties. That would be shocking. This was not lost on the disciples. Peter, you hear what Peter said? No way! You're not going to do this. You're not going to go to my nasty, dirty old feet and perform a lowest servant's task? You see, this action of foot washing is of a piece with an earlier episode of Peter where Jesus began to proclaim that he would go to the cross. And Peter said, no, 
And that was when Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan. So Peter has it. This isn't the first time he's disputed with the Lord. And here he argues with him because he has a sense. If he, being the master, does this, where does that leave all the rest of us? My goodness. If the one whom we adore, who is our leader, does this, what are we supposed to do? He gets something of that. And we could say that this action of foot washing is symbolic of the whole of Jesus' humiliation. In this action, there is the very essence of everything that he does in his self-humbling, kind of symbolized, right? Our Lord humbled himself, you recall. That began when he added true humanity to his true deity. And we see in the action of foot washing how low he goes for us in that humiliation. But there's more. There's more than this to his humiliation. Though this foot washing is an act, we could say, that comprehends his humiliation. We might say in the self-humbling of our Lord, we see two aspects. We often speak in this way. Two aspects. And in the self-humbling, as a man, he's fully God and fully man, truly God and truly man, as one who is also man now, he becomes obedient. And we see in the active obedience of Christ as the second Adam that he comes to keep the whole law perfectly for us. That's part of his humiliation. The law that Adam and that we failed to keep, failing to love God and our neighbor, heart, soul, strength, and mind. He came and he did that. The lawgiver became the law keeper for you, not for himself. He didn't need to do it for himself. Everything he did was for you. So he kept the whole law for you. That was humbling. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. And then of course ultimately he satisfied the wrath of God by paying for our sin, the sin of Adam and his people. To undergo all that he did, to know the, the hatred of the crowds ultimately. And particularly the wrath of his father against sin, your sin and mine. That was an excruciating part of what we call his passive obedience. The whole obedience is his active and passive obedience in which he became obedient. And this is how far the humiliation goes. He became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. One of the most degrading ways you could imaginably die. Christ bore the awful load of sin as the hymn writer says, that none in heaven or earth could bear but God. This is what his humiliation means. And then in his resurrection, now I want you to understand how it is that we become those who have had our feet washed and what that means. It's not just that he washed the disciples' feet. He washes our feet. Listen. In his resurrection, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.45b, that the exalted Christ becomes a life-giving spirit. You see, his ministry of foot washing continues in his having together with the Father sent the Spirit in new covenant power upon the church to constitute a, a new covenant church at Pentecost. And then the gospel goes global from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel goes out. 
and by the Spirit's gracious work, the exalted Christ continues this foot-washing ministry among us, applying such to us by the means of grace. Preaching, the sacraments, prayer. Think about this. As you hear this word preached, as you come to this table, Christ, by His Spirit, continues to wash your feet. In fact, at the table it's quite remarkable that the exalted Christ, the glorified Christ, no longer in humiliation, continues to come to you in your humiliation. You will enter glorification when He comes again. He continues to come to you in your humiliation under the emblems of His humiliation. He's in His exaltation. He's at the right hand of the Father on high. But He continues to come to you under the signs of that which was humbling because you're in your humiliation. He continues to identify with you. By all these means, He washes your feet. The exalted Christ by His Spirit right now, even as you hear this word, ministers His grace to you. He washes your feet. It's by the Spirit of Christ that we're washed in justification. We're given a right standing before God because Christ's righteousness is imputed to us even as our sin is to Him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And we're furthermore sanctified. And this, I think, is in view here in His exchange with Peter. You see, as our Lord said to Peter, you're already washed in justification so that you need only to have your feet washed, verse 10, in sanctification. So Peter, on the one hand, doesn't like to think about if Jesus humbles Himself in this way, what does that mean for Him? But Jesus comes back to Peter very graciously and says, No, I wash you, Peter. You're clean, but I need to wash your feet. And if you know Christ, if you trust Christ, you're justified. You have a perfect standing before a holy God. But He seeks always to sanctify you, to purify you, to work in your life to enable you to die to sin and live to righteousness. And you should know that when you you hear this kind of talk from the pulpit about dying to sin and living to righteousness, sometimes you mistake the nature of it. You think a burden is being laid upon you. A burden is being lifted from you. Sin is a burden, not being called to follow and to walk with God. That's a blessing. That's true freedom. All the things we struggle with in our thoughts with our tongue, in our actions, all the sin that we struggle with, that's slavery. Jesus comes to deliver you from that. He comes to take away that burden. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Yes, he has a light yoke, but it's all based on our response. Our response to him is not a response that gives us a right standing with him. We have a right standing with Him. Our response is not to get us the right standing, it's because we have one. It's a response of gratitude. And if what Jesus did is not enough to give you a right standing before a holy God, you're going to do what to get it? Think about that. Oh, I have people say, oh, pastor, you don't know how bad I am. Well, I guess you're worse than Jesus is good. Mm, No, I don't think so. So, we've thought a bit about 
Christ washing our feet. How he washed his disciples' feet, what it meant as a lowly, humble task, and how he washes all of your feet today by the word, by the sacraments. I'm a Presbyterian, so we also talk about prayer as a means of grace. And I believe that it is. It's drawing near to God and God to us. And God cleanses us in that. He sanctifies us. He washes our feet. Well, people of God, office bearers in particular, you need to wash one another's feet as Jesus has washed yours. But let me say this, even in washing each other's feet, we need to remember and always remember that it's not about you, it's about Him. Again, this is what keeps it from being a burden. This is what always makes it, always makes all of your life as a Christian a response of gratitude. Remember, it's gotten nowhere better than in the Heidelberg Catechism, right? Where does the law get exposited in the Heidelberg Catechism? In the third section, which is the section dealing particularly with gratitude, right? Guilt because of our sin, God's grace comes and thus we respond in gratitude or sin, salvation, service, ever how you want to, whatever word you want to use for that. That's what we're called to, gratitude. But which means it's about Him. Always keep Him in view. So you need to wash each other's feet here and office bearers, you particularly need this, by having your own feet washed, by tending the, own, the, the garden of your own heart, by a fruitful use of the means of grace. Office bearers, you can't really serve as you've been called to, as you've said you will, if you're not moment by moment looking to Jesus. If you're trying to serve in your own strength, in your own power, you're going to get tired, you're going to get frustrated, you're going to say, what's the use? You're going to say, oh, I can't do it, it's too much. And people's problems are too much for me to bear. Well, you're not called to bear them yourself. You're called to come alongside them and help them to see that Christ is the great burden bearer. He's your burden bearer. He's theirs. What you're really doing, you're not ministering office bearers yourself to them. You're ministering Christ to them. And He is a never-ending fountain of grace. Parents, it's the same for you as you deal with your children. Parents, so many parents... They just get utterly discouraged. And we're going to when we do it in the flesh. And we all get discouraged. How do we keep going on as parents? In the spirit, not in the flesh. We have to walk in the spirit, keep in step with the spirit. You say, well, if we're doing religious things, that's not walking in the flesh. Oh, no. Tim Keller has some great things about religious flesh. I remember he was one of my teachers in seminary. He used to be a teacher in seminary before he became a real famous pastor. And he had a lot of good things to say about religious flesh. And what that means is doing lots of Christian things in your own strength and power. In your own flesh. And you know the difference. You know the difference when you're really depending on Him, looking to Him, in tune with Him. Doing what you do, as I said a moment ago, not to be accepted by God, but because you are accepted by God. And if you say, I don't see the difference, well, the difference between that is the Christian faith and not the Christian faith. 
if you do what you do to gain God's acceptance, that's a religion of works, not a religion of grace. And you know the difference. So office bearers, particularly all of you, need to have a fruitful use yourself of the means of grace, benefiting from the ministry of the word and sacraments, in your own families, in your own personal use, benefiting from the word and prayer, right? You need to truly grow in grace. Office bearers, you need to grow in grace. You, you, when you just hear these bare duties, I mean, when I hear the duties of my office, I, I'm like, I quit. I can't do this. I can't do this. And Paul essentially says the same thing. I am crucified with Christ. That I that can't do this, I'm, I'm dead with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's how, I mean, if Paul needed it, oh my, do I need it. This is the Paul who says, I count not myself to have attained. I haven't reached it. And if Paul hasn't reached it, I haven't reached it. You haven't reached it. We're not required to have reached it. As Jack Miller used to say to people who would come to him, sincere Christian brothers and sisters struggling in their sin, and they would say, Dr. Miller, I'm so concerned about the, 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 the sins of my tongue. I can just engage in gossip or, or I have envy, I have hatred, I have lust, I have anger, I have pride, I have these problems. And he would just listen and smile and sit back and say, relax, you're far worse than you think. You're far worse than you think. And God's grace is far greater than you've ever dared to believe. This isn't a license to sin, no. Because you know sin is your enemy, it's not your friend. This is why we have the problems we do. We won't, in heaven, we won't have those problems. But here below we look to the Lord. And so... You need to wash the feet of each other here by ministering to each other in Christ, in the grace of God. J. Gresham Machen, a great Christian from the last century, noted in his famous book, we're almost coming up to a century on the book, Christianity and Liberalism. I would read it if I were you, if you've never read it. It's an excellent book. He noted that the Jesus of liberal reconstruction is not the supernatural redeemer set forth in the Bible as the object of faith, but rather that he's to be understood and accepted as the pattern of faith, which is to say that, that we ought to exercise the same kind of faith that Jesus had this wonderful faith in God and we should exercise the same kind of faith in God. So we just need to be like Jesus. And you say, well, isn't that the gospel? That's quite not the gospel. That's the essence of liberalism saying Jesus had this wonderful relation with God and we need to have the same kind. We need to trust Jesus. Our faith needs to be in Jesus doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus is God come in the flesh who has come as a divine, on a divine rescue mission to rescue us. And our faith must be in that. Our faith must be in Him. And it's only when we understand what He uniquely did, what only He can do, if we think we somehow save ourselves by just being like Him. No, that isn't Christianity. 
Christianity is saying there was no other good enough. He had to come and do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And it's by trusting in Him and Him alone that we have life. And then we're called to serve each other. And even in that service to each other, we're always pointing each other to Christ. Again, parents, sometimes you miss this. And you think, well, you know, I realize I'm not the best example to my own child. Congratulations, I'm glad you've realized that. Jesus is. You're going to fail your children. If you think, well, have I really done that? Then you don't know yourself. You have a pretty low bar for success. I had somebody come to me once and said, well, I heard you talk about how we fail, and I don't fail. And I said, well, you've got a low bar for success. If you understand what God requires, like Martin Luther did, like John Calvin did, like where all of us come from understood in the, reform, in the Reformation, you understand that we fall short. Paul says it, we fall short of the glory of God. We need another to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And then how we serve each other, how we wash each other's feet, is really by pointing each other to Christ. So office bearers, this is what you do. There's no better way to wash the feet of the saints here than by conducting yourselves among this congregation so as to make clear that salvation is of the Lord and that it's all from first to last of grace. Ed Clowney was once asked, he was at Westminster, both of the Westminsters was again someone very influential on me and he was once asked, Dr. Clowney, if you could preach one passage of scripture, what would it be? And he said, Jonah 2.9c. And the students were like, yeah, that's what I thought. What is that? I mean, Jonah 2.9. It's where Jonah in the belly of the fish says, salvation is of the Lord. And he said, that's kind of a summary of the Bible. We need to be saved. We're lost. And Jesus is our Savior. Thanks be to God. That's what he came to do, to save us. He came to save his people from their sins. And Clowney said, that's, a, that's sort of a summary of the Bible. So office bearers, you need to do this. You need to love one another. You're not laying burdens on the people, but you're there to to help unburden them when you encourage them to be who they are in Christ. And so office bearers, do this in all your ministry. You've heard about the duties of elders, the duties of deacons. I won't repeat those. I'll just say this, make it your great business, office bearers, in every circumstance, in private, in public, to point those that you minister to to Christ. That's the best way to wash their feet, by telling them and applying to them the old, old story of Jesus and His love, by dealing with them as He's dealt with you, with all the tender shepherd care of a father who pities his children. Give of yourself unstintingly, holding nothing back, Because you're a debtor, as Paul said. Office bearers, you're all a debtor. And you discharge your debt. Owe no man but to love. You discharge your debt to God. Your your duty to love. By ministering to each other in love. Even as your Lord and teacher stoop to wash your feet. And then just this as we close. To you, dear congregation of the Lord. I also admonish you 
to receive and to love those office bearers, to submit to those office bearers, even as the church submits to the one who washes her feet. And you need to receive those office bearers in all of their, the pastors, the elders, the deacons, you need to receive them in all of their, their counsel, their, their admonition, their instruction, their, their ministrations of visitation, of personal engagement. You need, in other words, to let them wash your feet. Now let me just say this. This is a real challenge. This is probably the biggest challenge. It's especially a challenge for people who are not the most natively open types. You saw Peter's reluctance, right? To let Jesus wash his feet. Who wants to let another see how dirty and filthy your feet are? This is a kind of a metaphor, congregation. I'm encouraging you. Open yourself up more to the elders and deacons. This is going to take, this isn't easy. But you see, when we sometimes say, I, I don't... I don't want to seek the count. I don't want other people to know that I struggle with. God knows. God knows and He loves you. There are those who appropriately can know. And so it's right that we be in a proper way open with each other. That we even, that we even share with each other the mess of our lives. Welcome them as, as one who are not here to judge you or to shame you for what you're dealing with, what you're struggling with, but who want to stoop and to apply the gospel to the deepest, darkest, worst parts of your life. I mean, that's what, that's what washing the feet's about. These are really messy, stinky, smelly feet. And office bearers especially are called to wash those feet. We're all called to wash one another's feet. There needs to be a kind of one anothering, Paul says, which means a kind of proper openness and transparency. And when there is this, boy, it makes you, it makes you know each other and love each other and appreciate each other. And you can only do this if you really understand God's grace. If you think all of this, all of this church business is about we're all good people here. We're all upright, upstanding, fine, moral people. Well, if you really are all that yourself, you don't need the church. I mean, we're all bozos on this bus if you really understand the thing. To be frank with you. We all profoundly need the grace of God. As a pastor, I recall, this was years ago, but a particular week, three people came to see me. This was 25 years ago. And each of the persons said, Pastor, I mean, it was like, shut the blind, close the door. I got a whisper, Pastor, I am struggling with something. I'm struggling with these thoughts. I'm struggling with these actions. I'm struggling with something. I don't, even, I don't even know if I'm really a Christian. I mean, how can I be struggling with this? And, and here's the thing. I'm sure nobody else. I mean, if, if anybody knew that I even struggled with this, they'd kick me out. It would want nothing to do with me. And I'm sure nobody else struggles with this. Three different people came in and said that. And they were all struggling with essentially the same thing. Now you said, oh, well, you said, well, so you said to the last guy, well, you know, Bill and Joe struggle. No, of course I didn't say that. I said nothing of the sort. I keep confidence, as your office bears it pledged to do, and as they will. 
That, that's not the point, friends. The point is we're, we're often dying on the vine and we, we, we don't even know that other people are sharing that with us. And then you have people among us who are full of sin and don't recognize it. I mean, there's all kinds of sins. If you've ever read Jerry Bridges or a book like that, Respectable Sins, if you know that book, it's a good book, very good book. You know, but in churches, gossip, all kind of you know, suspicions, whisperings, this, that, that's, that's all sin. And you know what's interesting? Paul puts that kind of stuff in the same list with the stuff we consider really bad sins, like you know, the obvious sexual things and the obvious violent things and the obvious sorts of really bad things, murder. He puts gossip, slander, and that sort of thing in the same list. That, that ought to at least tell us something. None of us have anything on each other. None of us, in one sense, in ourselves, are anything to write home about. But you're also in God, in Christ, a wonderful, beautiful person whom God wants you to develop to simply become who you are. This is who you are. We may not live that way, but this is who you are. I grew up hearing from my mom about how her family was once in a church of foot-washing Baptists. May you be foot-washing reformed. Not meaning that you have another ordinance or a sacrament, but just appropriate to your own situation that you give to each other and you receive from each other. Everything. Because we receive what Jesus has given. He has washed and washes us. Let us serve him in each other. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time today. There's so much here to think about and to say. Take it all home to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. In response, let's sing together. I would assume that you, I don't see an, anything in, indicate stand, but I'm assuming you would want to stand saying stanzas one to three of Jesus with thy church abide. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, receive now this his blessing.
May the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.